The squirrel was magic! Diabolical Index for March 19th on Monday, where the pages of the uncanny reside. I'm Corey Dawson, as always. Um, might look a little different. You might not recognize me. Uh, I've I've lost some facial hair and some years off my life. Maybe some years off my face. I don't know. Uh, it's it's kind of heavy. I think that all the the beard, like draw, you know, drooping my face down, is giving me this double chin, this paunch right here. But that's up for debate. Anyway, um, glad to have you back again. I have some some really, really interesting things to talk about tonight. Uh, I'll be talking about The Bees by Laleen Paul and um, Join by Steve Tautungi? Tutungi? Something like that. It's, uh, it's tough. It's T-O-U-T-O-N-G-H-I. But uh, despite that, is totally mind altering, but um, but we'll get to that in a little bit later. First, I wanted to uh, go over some things that you need to know. Number one, as always, Heggles and Horror with TJ is on uh, tomorrow night, ten ish. Always have to go for the ten ish. I don't know what time it is right now, but uh, but I don't know. We're we're rocking pretty good. We got here uh, eventually, but uh, uh, Heggles and Horrors tomorrow night with TJ. I'm not exactly sure what he'll be talking about, but uh, it's going to be terrifying, whatever it is. Um, and also, uh, and Monkai is back, back in style as always. I think it's their third episode now, right? They're uh, they're really going strong. They decided to do weekly. Luckily, it's on Mark and Andrew Wednesday nights. Um, to be determined, it's usually just Wednesday nights, right? Is there any? Uh, it takes a while for it to upload. It takes a while for it to upload. So, uh, it's, it's usually in the eights, nines, something like that, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I think I'm gonna live stream it this time so it goes on every platform. Awesome. So, we're gonna try live stream soon, uh, on every platform, which you can find at magicsworldnetwork.com. Links to that, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, Cinematic Reality, of course. Uh, we got the Indiegogo still going strong. I believe that there are one-third a goal with less than a week to go. So make sure that you pop over to uh, Indiegogo to help out Brandon and the boys. It's going to be their first thriller without a mask, if I, if I remember correctly, which will be interesting to see. Uh, I've almost been in the loop for as long as they've been doing this stuff. Almost. Not quite, but almost. And I'm really excited to see what happens next because I really enjoyed The Woods Within. Um and that was Brandon's first directorial. That was a directorial debut, if I remember correctly. So this has been a long time coming. So make sure you go to Indiegogo page for Cinematic Reality, Studio 605, kicking it strong. 
Also, pointless discussions. There was a big, uh, a big hoo-ha earlier. Um, someone was was kind of dared, I guess, that uh, they were challenged to get them to three hundred dollars for their uh, <laughs> their their drive for the theme song from Royish Good Looks. Uh, it's it's been a drama, that's for sure. They uh, they've left no stone unturned. There's nothing they won't do. They've said there is nothing nothing that they won't do to get that uh, that new theme song uh there's been bloodshed uh plasma shed i guess you'd say and there's been all sorts of odd jobs they are bound and determined to to get that new theme song from royish good look so uh definitely go to their gofundme page uh i think that there's a there may be a link is there a link on the at the top of mega scroll like this yeah okay uh, but hey, there's only, they're only dollars away. So if you got anything in the couch, dig it out and uh, go to GoFundMe and make sure they get their theme song. And remember, again, uh, Magic Scroll Network for all your links uh, to Heckles and Horror, Diabolical Index, Animonkai, uh, Pointless Discussions, Juice in the Morning. Uh, they just uh, they keep coming. They keep growing. There's all sorts of things in the mix. Um, uh, from GameHive on, uh, on Pointless Discussions, there's going to be a a new a new show coming. I don't know how much I'm supposed to talk about it, but there's, there's a post about it. So check out magicworldnetwork.com uh, and you might find out more about that. I'm not sure. But all the links to your favorite shows are on there. Uh, and I got some business to attend to. Literary history. Um, I mean, I guess that it's... Literary history is kind of broad, I guess, but it comes down to the births and deaths for the end of the month. Um... One of the most important women in literary history, uh, she went for the Southern Gothic, the grotesque uh, around the Bible Belt and below. Um, Flannery O'Connor was born at the end of March, and she uh, she wrote all, all kinds of things. She mostly wrote short stories. There were a couple of novels. Wise Blood uh, was one of her novels, and uh, The Violent Bear It Away was one. And the rest of it... Uh, kind of kind of wrote itself i think a lot of people accused her of making the southerners seem like these um i don't know knuckle dragging grotesques who somehow believed in the lord and made you pay for it when they did but a good man is hard to find was one of the short stories in those collections and that uh they i don't know what's going on over there but uh flannery o'connor is definitely one of the uh one of the finest female writers that uh, that the South ever produced, there were plenty. But she's uh, she's one of those ones that always comes up on lists. Uh, they really really made an impact. And I think it, you know it helps that it's kind of the unassuming. She uh, she described herself as weak chinned and someone who couldn't bear to be looked at or talked to most of the time. But she she made an impact. A lot of people consider her stories to be horror stories. And it's kind of the same thing. I, I did a talk once on the Southern Gothic aspect of, of literary um, history and literary things. And I included uh, Flannery O'Connor with uh, Night of the Hunter. And you may remember the Robert Mitchum performance. He's a con man who dresses like a preacher who ends up um, chasing these kids across the across the country trying to get to the the spoils of a robbery that he had heard from uh, 
with a jailhouse mate of his who was also their father. And he tries to scam his way into their lives so he can get a hold of that. But all in the guise of a, a preacher, and it's just chilling. But it's the same sort of Southern Gothic that Flannery O'Connor got up to. So I, I definitely recommend Wise Blood and A Good Man's Hard to Find and other stories. Uh, there are collections out there. Usually it's uh, the collected Flannery O'Connor or probably Best American Short Stories of Last Century, something like that. It ought to be easy to find. So Flannery O'Connor, born late this month. And uh, also late this month uh, was a pretty notable death for me in particular. I don't know how many of you have heard of Charles Williford, but um, you may have seen the movie Miami Blues. I think it starred Alec Baldwin in it, and uh, it's this character, Hoke, Hoke McCready, or Hoke, I don't know, I wrote it down, Hoke Mosley. Hard-boiled detective, but at the same time, there was a great deal of humor. It was gallows humor about, you know, running from the law and and the the cavalcade of characters that, um, Hoke Mosley runs into on his little jaunts through the underbelly, the underworld of Miami and, and the environs down there. Kind of like the the squalid um, beach community and everything that lives under the rocks and down in the furrows of the beach of Miami and Florida itself. But uh, he, wrote, he wrote a lot that ended up becoming movies. Uh, Cockfighter was one of them. And probably one of the, my favorite titles of all time, the the Burnt Orange Heresy. Uh, that wasn't a, a Hoke Mosley novel, but uh, at the same time, I I wish I would have come up with that title. There's no doubt about it. Um, but Charles Williford, uh, check him out. There there are actually uh, some new compilations of his short stories that are out, and I think there are some with that have a couple of the novels in one. They're difficult to find outside of the kind of like the boutique mystery, you know, re-release uh, publishers that are out there. But there's almost always the, uh, the, the pastel colors and the, the bright neons of, of the beach culture involved in there or the seedy Las Vegas strip. So Charles Williford died end of March. So that's important. It was important to me. I don't know. I don't know how many of you heard of this guy. Probably none. But uh, if you haven't heard of him, definitely check him out. It's worth it. So uh, on to the index. The first one that I was going to go over today. When I let's get this straight, I didn't have either one of these books when I was coming up with the the index for this Monday. I uh, I had already decided that I was going to do Runaway Spaceship for the Choose Your Own Adventure non-entry, and I you know just leisurely was looking around for something new. I had kind of gone the the dark route for most of the stuff I've done, and not that I'm against it, I'm totally for it, you know that. But as well, all of you know, you can find the darkness like just beneath the light, or you know, in the golden places is where you can find it most easily, almost. So I was looking around for two that had something in common that were completely different, and this was the first one that I found. Um, I actually almost put it back, but. Once I started reading it, I just I couldn't put it down. Um, it wasn't perfect. There are things that uh, that I'm going to talk about that are staples, almost cliches, um, kind of hackneyed, I guess. At this point, if you know, if if anyone's ever heard of the hero's journey or Luke Skywalker, and for that matter, you know, the Hunger Games, there there are things to do with this that are um, 
it kind of skirts the line between cliche and classic uh, th- thoughts and theories of just the way heroes are born and made. So that's not a bad thing necessarily. But uh, as I read along, I noticed that there was such a absolute, just like silky confidence about even all the scientific stuff that was going on. But anyway, I haven't even told you about it yet. It's The Bees by Laline Paul. hope I'm saying her first name right. L-A-L-I-N-E. Laline. That's the way I'm saying it. Uh, but it begins, actually, in a field. A farmer's field. And there's a farmer and a friend talking about um, colony collapse in his apiaries. And it's just a, it's a short little prologue and entry into the human aspect of uh, beekeeping and um, it's it's only the I don't know it's, it's the basest version of the human condition you know kind of coupled with the charm of, of farm life but since it's called the bees you know that something much more dires and you know behind the waxy hive walls so as soon as it's just a couple pages as soon as that ends then you enter the hive. Now, it's so wonderful. Um, there's so I just I I'm I'm going. I'm sure I'm going off about it. What's up? What's up? Oh, Jennifer said we're gonna have the beard go. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> well, it was you know, it was just this wild impulse to just shave shave my mutton chops off, Jennifer. What can I say? I can't say anything. It was just a. It was just a wild impulse. I can't say anything about it, but there you go. Um, so anyhow, with the uh, <laughs> sorry that that struck me funny. With the bees, um, the first entry into the hive, you get to see and in the uh, is the appearing room, the arrivals hall. The arrivals hall is this place full of little cells and and waxy catacombs where the young uh, pop out of their cells or their waxy vaults where they're kept when they're gestating in there. And there are some, uh, there are levels to the hive. There are cliques and there are uh, casts in the hive. Um, I just, I, I'm sorry, I can't get over I'm I'm fawning over this book because it's so captured what I imagine a hive to be like. I read a, a story a long time ago. I think it was called like Alone with the Termites or something like that. And it talked about the life within uh, a termite burrow. And it was pulpy um, <laughs> adventure. And there was horrific insects down there that took you in and cocooned you. I guess TJ would like this. It was kind of like uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space where they cocooned you and then just uh, drained you out. But um, this was much different. There was a there was a regal bent to practically everything. But in the arrivals hall, I mean, you could it was you could so easily picture this you know almost gilded waxy framework of architecture of you know arches and spires and different I don't know just interlocking interlacing like lattices of wax and golden kind of honey drenched things it was fantastic but the funny part was is that this was actually the arrivals hall where the lowest of the low end up punching their way out of their cells and come to life 
and that's where you meet the the protagonist of the story. Her family is Flora, and her number is 717, so she's known as Flora 717. And she she basically punches out of her cell and, uh, and comes to life and kind of unfurls herself on the floor of the arrivals hall. And she's soon to find out that not only does she think herself ugly, that the society itself is going to see her as ugly and too large and, you know, with, with not the, the right size legs, not the right unfurling wings, nothing, nothing about her is uh, appealing to this society. And as she comes out, she realizes that scents are all around her. There are curling wisps of pheromones that move across the walls at all times that are sent out by different uh, levels of people. Sometimes, most of the time, they are her keepers. As she is basically born a sanitation worker, she's meant to punch out of her cell and then immediately clean up the mess and take the pieces of wax from the uh, from the hold and you know, place it neatly inside. That way there's not a mess for the the incoming priests and priestesses, mostly priestesses of the hive. But almost as soon as she's born and as soon as she's given this instantaneous knowledge, there is no learning curve. You instantly know things and feel things at the twitch of an antenna, at the, at, at the curling ribbon of pheromone. You learn everything you need to know, ever in your life because you are the lowliest of the low and you will be cleaning up mostly the dead for the rest of your lives. So she looks around at the, the other arrivals who are in her cast and all of a sudden there's a ruckus and there's a, there's a smaller one of her group that, uh, that had escaped inspection. There are always inspections because you find pretty quickly in the beehive if there's imperfection, if there's um, the innovation of genetics, anything that doesn't doesn't look like you're supposed to, any uh, any wing that's too large, any foreleg that's too small, any antenna that curls the wrong way, and what happened to you will be what happened to this little one. Um, there's a female that runs into the pack. Uh, and she's set upon by um, by these soldier or these soldier I almost said ants soldier bees that uh, that come across for inspection and she had she had fled capture and when they find her they look her over and they basically insult her life and and say that she's a she's just an insult to the mother queen and they break her. They break her in half, basically. And then the sanitation workers uh, have to get rid of the dead, basically. Um, and Flora is kind of caught in the crossfire. Where she she doesn't want to admit that this is happening. She doesn't want to leave a fellow bee uh, to these, um, these creatures. So she doesn't act as soon as she should. And she's almost set upon herself because apparently she's too tall and the color is wrong and her head is misshapen. So uh, they they set upon her next. But all of a sudden, 
someone comes to her aid and it just so happens to be a a priestess known as sister state sister sage uh and it's it's just a it's a flurry of of learning every moment the sister sage touches her it's either pain or contentment or you know uh, finding out where to go finding out where she's been where she's going to go um but as you as you read you find out that even though flora 717 is deformed there's something special about her and sister sage notice it notices it right away um even though i think she's kind of leery to admit it even in her priestess stage which is is high in the caste system uh, they're very, very seldom questioned, but they do have to answer to some. So, Sister Sage ends up taking her where she thinks that she could be useful in what she calls an experiment. So, she takes Flora 717 to the nursery, which is kind of a, a sacred place where uh, babies, it's, it's, a, it's kind of something that is a little difficult to understand uh, if you're if you're not kind of up with the way bees um, gestate. It's one of those things where it's kind of confusing. Where they say that you're born through the arrivals hall, but it turns out that the arrivals hall is kind of where you're next born once you're you're sure once they're sure of what you are, uh, which also kind of comes into the a little bit of the heavy handedness of the. Um, the statements that are made and kind of like the, I don't know, the message of the story. But I'll talk about that a little bit later too. But she finds as she goes to the nursery that she can produce what they, what they refer to as flow, which is a liquid that, um, that collects in the mouth of females in order to, um, in order to feed the young. And it's something that doesn't come easily, and it doesn't come uh, to sanitation workers, and it doesn't come to the lowly and the ugly malformed, like Flora is instantly said that she is. So she's able to feed the young, and that's when the inner rebellion starts, where Flora knows that she's bound for, for greater things. And it almost seems like it almost seems like it happens by accident. It's constantly by misadventure that she she finds herself discovering that she's more than she appears to be. And Sister Sage also finds that out. Uh, little by little, she finds out that she was right in more ways than she had known, and it, it becomes a, a terror to everyone. Um, but therein lies the, the cliche I, I talked about. You know, Luke Skywalker... Just a lowly farmer, moisture farmer. Now all of a sudden he comes across a wizard and then all of a sudden he's like the savior of the galaxy. So it's that hero's journey that keeps popping up over and over again. But this is slightly different. Slightly different because there's... It's such a rich, rich tapestry of this, the, the constant politicking and the constant um, moving of casts and different cliques and levels of attainment um, where there's this, you know, as, as far as I can tell, you well, I don't want to give away too much, but you, you don't, you hear of the queen. There are devotions to the queen day in, day out. 
there's a mantra that's repeated to the queen and, you know, in death we live forever and all that kind of thing. Uh, because most of the bee's life has to do with death. You, you know, you, you give your flow to the young until you're dried up and blow away and they have to dispose of your body and, and toss it into the weeds. But Flora just keeps finding herself in different parts of the hive that she never would have ever seen as a, as a sanitation worker, except just to clean the dead and, and exit. But she's, she's actually privy to practically all of the wonders of the hive just by accident, um, wandering into a crowd, entering the wrong door. I mean, the, the whole setup of the hive is, uh, it's so advanced, but not too advanced. I mean, anyone who had ever looked at a hive or an ant farm or any kind of insect burrow knows that they're very complex. Um, there's nothing simple about them. So when she talks about, um, you know, feeling around on the floor and feeling through the floor, like all of the, um, all of the emotions and all of the drives and the thoughts, uh, just from, uh, the antenna squeaking around on the floor and the, the sense and the pheromones passing up through it. She can actually, sister Sage can throw her a wisp of uh, pheromone and tell her everything she wants her to do, everything that she thinks that she wants to do and everywhere she needs to go. Which is a strange part because she almost always ends up getting carried away. There's a crowd that occurs uh, when a male drone is born. Whenever there's a drone uh, that's born into the hive, it's a major, major event. Because they're the future, uh, when you think about it. It's, it's a strange dichotomy because the drones are uh, they're seen as almost almost like gods, except when they grow to adulthood, uh, it's almost like a rollicking band of, uh, Vikings or barbarians because they're vain. They come in and they, they preen their, uh, the frills of their, of their neck collars and all this kind of stuff. And it's interesting when you think about as it goes along, you kind of almost forget that these are bees that they're talking about because they're so human-like in their endeavors and in their desires. I mean, the the foragers, which are always female, they're they're rugged um, scavengers of out you know the the lands outside the hive. They pick up the different pollens from here and there, and and nectars from different places like hither and yon, different plants and flowers. So when they come in, the uh, the foragers stand up to the drones because they uh, they see themselves more important. The drones aren't uh, they they don't rate trying the new nectar from the uh, from the new gypsum weed or or wherever they get their little hints and uh, tenors of the honey from. But uh, it's an interesting interesting moment when you have these rollicking barbarian type masculine really overtly and overly masculine uh cohorts of the queen in one way or another uh when they show up and the foragers kind of brush past them as if they don't have the time of day for them it's an interesting moment 
especially since at one point uh, Flora gets caught up on what they call the landing board, which I guess, you know, if you if you look at a hive, there there's a little part in there where the, the bees come back in with their their bounty of the earth, and they just land there and, and bring it in to the inner workings of the hive. But she ends up falling off the board. Kind of by accident, kind of not. It seems as if the foragers are trying to see if she could be one of their own because she's she's larger stronger um and and out of place like she is it seems like she can't fit in anywhere in the hive for one reason or another and she's almost always on the run and then brought back in and kind of hypnotized and you know the the mind has changed instantly with just a little slip of a pheromone so she gets knocked off the landing board and she takes flight she unlocks her wings which is an interesting thought um these spoiled brats you know the drones are are on the the landing board just waiting for their their sup it's almost like these guys going in to drink mead or uh slosh around some kind of berserker fluid out of a barrel somewhere uh but she falls off and her wings unlock and she's able to fly she never even thought of it before and she's given the taste of freedom, but as all institutionalized people of, of all kinds know, uh, sometimes it's difficult to leave the cage. So she ends up terrified of the outside and uh, agoraphobia sets in and she wants the, the comfort of um, commonality. She wants to go back to the hive where it's safe and where she can feel the queen's love. Uh, which is also something that's doled out here and there when they want to uh, settle down a rowdy bee. They touch them with what they call the queen's love and instantly they're, uh, they're a supplicant yet again. They're, any kind of individual mind is erased. And so it's it's not a new story by any means, but the way that it's put out there is just... It's fascinating, especially when, you know, you know, you know that she did research so much research that she had to have done, but she, she weaves it in such a way that you're not quite sure, even if you're an expert, I'm sure the experts have read this and said, well, this doesn't really happen. That doesn't really happen. But there's, there's a touch of the fantasy on the fantastic, but at the same time, you could totally believe that uh, one one or the other is true, even if it isn't, because it just it works so well, and it gets. I just I can't get over how interesting and how rich it was. It was uh, like despite the. It's one of those things where you meet the the lead character. It stays a lead character. There are setbacks. There are successes. But you know, you know. You basically know that they're bound for greatness in one way or the other. Either they're kicked down and get back up again, or they kind of weasel their way into the, the seats of power under some sort of, uh, I don't know, mentor or whatever. But uh, in this case, it's one of those things where the journey is so much more interesting than the destination. If you can, you find yourself, or at least I found myself, thinking of it as any court of uh, of royals that that's ever existed the same thing the backbiting and the betrayal and the 
the domineering and the dominating and the tricking and the believing and all those kinds of things. Um, but then you remember that these are insects and when you see, you know, if someone's winking at, if one of them is winking at the other one, you know, it's a compound eye and, and the antenna where just a touch can cause searing pain, uh, almost to the point of cracking their spines. Uh, there's death everywhere, but there's also richness and color and this amber, uh, hue towards everything. It's just, it's sumptuous. It's a totally sumptuous read. Uh, I completely recommend it. There's no doubt about it. Um, like I said, it's not, a, I mean, the, the story, the tone of the story, I mean, it's, it's classic and cliched. Sometimes it kind of skirts, skirts it. Sometimes it walks the precipice of, of cliche and classic, but at the same time, I think it's important still. I think all of these are important whenever you have the, um, the disenfranchised and the underdog and, uh, something that someone thinks is a handicap or, a, uh, a hazard ends up becoming a benefit and a, almost a benediction. So, um, the fun part is when she realizes that she's much more special than anyone ever could have dreamt. And I'm going to let you make your own determinations about what that is, but it's so cool. Like later on the, the, there are these spiders that end up being kind of like the, these, I guess you call it, you know, information brokers and they end up staging like a hostage negotiation. Cause at one point the humans uproot the, the hive and bad, bad things happen. Uh, so some of the bees, you know, they, they lose their way. So the, the spiders have them in their clutches and it's that whole, um, come into my parlor type of thing. But yeah, the bees, Laleen Paul, definitely uh, check it out as your earliest opportunity. I guess it's, it's made all the lists and it's, it's one of those things I'm kind of surprised that I hadn't heard of yet. Um, but I'm glad I found it. Uh, it's one of those things where I was like looking around, uh, at the library. Uh, you want to go to book camp? I can show you my copy actually. So back, 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 down, 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 over, over, over. All right. The bees, Laline Paul. Um, and I think that's been translated into about 16 languages. So you're going to see a bunch of different covers, but they all have the, uh, I don't think that this is actually the, the coolest cover. There are a lot of them that have the, the honeycomb as part of the motif of the, of the cover. But, um, there's that. Although apparently this, um, the bees on this one came from an old, uh, an old treatise on bees, bee life, bee behavior. So that's cool. I like those old woodcuts and stuff, but they've, they've kind of enhanced it with, with color, uh, which, I mean, you could honestly say about the the story itself, which is enhanced with color. There's there's not one moment in it that just doesn't exude richness, uh, but but not but not overly so. It doesn't bog it doesn't get bogged down in the details. Um, it's 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 a perfect balance of uh, information and emotion, and uh, there are some thrills, um, but who knows. Will she win the day? Will Flora 717 win over her her captors and even like the, the imprisonment of being born different? Check it out. The Bees, Lean Paul. Okay. 
The second one, let's go to book camp again. The second one, I've made no bones about it. Um, I am not a gigantic fan of the name. It's called Join by Steve Tutengi. I'm doing my best. That's a, that's kind of a difficult one. Uh, Steve Tutengi. Join is it's easily one of the most fascinating books I've ever read. Uh, I got so lucky with this this bunch this time. Uh, <laughs> it was just so wild because I I was looking around for something that would go with the bees with kind of like the aspect of the hive mind, and I couldn't have found anything that was more perfect than join. Uh, basically, uh, it's the future, you know, not too terribly so that it isn't recognizable, but. Uh, Vital Corp is a group that's made technology that allows for people to get implants, known as the caduceus, which it's one of my favorite symbols. It's the it's the staff with the snakes entwining it. It was the scepter of Hermes, and uh, there's some interesting um, there are interesting aspects to that s- symbolism in the in the book that I won't go into, but basically. When you have it installed, uh, you're able to join with other people. So you basically leave your own identity behind for the most part, but your identity becomes their identity as well, and so on throughout all of you. The um, the protagonist of the story is known as Chance 3, and it's not their, their birth name. But basically, I think that the name originally assigned to chance three is javier but basically chance is one of five and they're referred to as chance one two three four and five and basically uh when you join with someone you have access to all their memories uh their entire past all of their uh successes all their aptitudes all of their skills you're you're it's all available to you so your identity grows and shrinks at once. Um, for instance, at one point, uh, if you're feeling sick, if you're feeling sleepy, you can actually uh, instantly, I want to say search around, but it's, a, it's an instant reaction where you can say chance four is sleeping. So I'm going to pull a little bit of the, the rest and rejuvenation from their sleep time and give it to myself if I'm feeling bad. So uh, you can feel good again. It's going to be difficult describing this because it's um, it's going to take a couple of reads to to see every facet of this story. Because once you when you're when you have one narrator, when you're talking to one of these people, you're never talking to just one. No one's ever alone. Um, and in fact, not even uh, it's it's such a strange idea, but it's so well captured. It's unbelievable. Um, because a chance three is actually a, a join doctor, what they call, where it's kind of a psychiatrist, except he speaks to members of a join about different problems they've had with, um, just, I guess, communicating and, um, assimilating and different things like that. And at one point in the very beginning, chance three is speaking to his patient and, uh, the patient notices 
something weird about his power, something weird about his, uh, his speech. And he says, basically, I have cancer, which is to say chance five, I believe has cancer. So when you become a member of a join, you never truly die. And the question is whether you truly live either, because it's such a assembled, um, group of people at once that at one point chance three actually has sex with chance four earlier in the day. And then he can, uh, he can experience everything through the looks of the other members of the joint that they all live together about how they look at him, look at her. He can feel the pain that she feels when he rubs her shoulder to kind of get a kink out. And, uh, there's a spasm of pain. He can feel it. He can see it. He can see it from the perspective of the person across the room and behind the window and in the shower. So it's one of the, it's a, it's almost confusing, but there's kind of a timber and a rhythm to everything that, that kind of makes it fall into place. And there are other characters too. Uh, no one, well, not yet later on there, there's more, but, uh, they all have these interesting names. There's chance one through five, uh, leap. I think there might be two or three of leap and the, the leader of the vital corpse name is excellence. And there are just multiple characters. One of which, uh, it's, it's terrifying really. Um, and this really, uh, I, I almost venture to say cold, but it's not cold because it's, it's so, um, it's so interest. It's just like a rich, uh, it, it's so interesting. There's so many, uh, elements to it that it's difficult to say it's cold. It's not a flat read. Um, but at one point he goes to a chance three at one point goes to a bar and he meets apple one and two apple one being the bartender and apple two being the waitress. So when the waitress walks over to one of the patrons, who's yelling for more whiskey and throwing shot glasses around apple one can have his opinion and also look through apple two and be flirted with by the patron and know what's going on just from behind the bar. And she's, you know, the length of the bar away. So, uh, the one that they meet in the bar's name is rope and rope is a mysterious figure because, uh, apparently he's been around since the very beginning and there was a big fallout. There was some blowback when the join, uh, problem first happened where, uh, people were, losing stock until they realized how popular it was going to be. And then the first thousand ended up becoming rich, rich people. But the strange thing about rope and there's nothing that can be done about it really, because I mean, at what point, who do you blame when you have 12 people that are sharing the same consciousness? Who's to blame? Who could possibly take the guilt? Who could be prosecuted in a court of law when there are 12 of you sharing the same mind? Uh, but join is systematically killing each one of his, uh, join members by drinking them to death. So in the bar, he's actually committing what they call possession where one mind takes over the body of another join, which like I said, it can get confusing, but 
I've noticed with this book, about the time you think you're you're becoming confused, then it kind of it works itself out in front of you. Um, but basically, there's one malignant uh, voice, there's one malignant mind within this hive mind that takes over another body of his joins, and then he kills it so that he retains its wealth, he retains its uh, its memories, its information, uh, all of its skills, and he also realizes what it's like to die over and over again. Because even though there is, there's physical death, you never are washed away. You're always part of this mind. And uh, the terror that was, it was such a silent terror to think about someone who almost becomes stuck inside their own body because which is their body is difficult to say. I mean, they, when you, when they go to sleep, they, they sleep in one body, but they could also experience something from someone else if it intruded into their mind. So, um, it's fascinating. It's, it's a very, very novel approach to the idea of identity, especially now. Um, when people, um, there's such a multiple intelligence to everything now. You have to. Everything has to be considered. Everything has to be empathized with. Everything has to be uh, uh, accounted for in order for it to make sense in the global community. And this is beyond global. It transcends distance. It transcends uh, flesh, mind. The collective consciousness is nothing to it because there there are different perspectives you can see all at once. So there should be a, a, a magical understanding, but there ends up much like, you know, most of the conveniences and the technological advances we have now, it ends up being uh, even more of a distancing tool. Even though you're all in the same brain, you couldn't be further apart. And there's a conspiracy there. Uh, there are rumors and there are notice perspectives that seem a little awry ever since the joining uh, process occurred it seems like there there are a lot of instances of a cancer there are a lot of instances of dementia of breakdown of cells so then the question becomes who's responsible and you know once uh once everyone's part of one it's difficult to point the finger unless you figure out that you're actually pointing in a mirror uh, so Joins fantastic. Uh, hate the name. I think I always will. It's just, uh, I think that there are so many directions that it could have gone. And, um, I think that's my only critique of it, uh, so far. I guess I always have a critique of something, but, um, I have to say, you know, I'm always looking for, uh, interesting new ideas that are coming down the way. And, there was nothing, you know, as, as for the bees, even though it's completely wonderful, like I said, don't, please don't get me wrong. Read be the bees at your earliest convenience, or even if it's not convenient, do it. Um, but there's no doubt about it. Join is easily one of the most original things I've ever read, especially since just the idea of trying to get the point across. Cause I mean, I write from time to time, even thinking about trying to get the point across that, uh, that comes across in this book is it just makes my mind hurt. Just thinking about how to juggle. Um, it's so funny cause you're thinking about actually juggling one narrator. So that in and of itself is, 
is a complex idea because one narrator will be remembering something that happened to him and other ones are kind of silently commenting almost as if they're kind of glancing from the side of their eye. So uh, you're never just talking about one person. Maybe. Maybe. Until later. But, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely, whatever you do, do not hesitate in checking it out. Um, there are, it's just, there are so many quiet, terrifying implications to the whole story. Nothing comes across as um, timid, yeah, even though it might be saying it offhand, even though it's something that this this character experiences every day every moment of the day minute um there's nothing that happens that isn't completely mind-blowing um at one point there's a conversation that talks about the entire process and you think that you were reading a uh, a textbook but at the same time i mean i don't know it's all relative i enjoy reading textbooks but some people don't but to me uh there was so much discovery like during during the process it's not something where uh where you know that the storyteller knows what they're talking about they know what's going to happen next and they're almost waiting for you to catch up in this case it almost seems like it's unfolding just page by page i'm not even sure if it had had chapters now that i remember um but it's there may have been parts i think there may have been parts but um, and it's funny because the cover of it, I was looking it over and, uh, it's so funny. I, I, I don't know. I guess I was kind of slow. I was so taken by the story that I didn't get a chance to really understand the cover. And it kind of gives you the impression of constellations, but at the same time, there are also points of connection all over it. And when you kind of back up from it, it resembles a brain. So, really good design of the cover as well. But uh, Steve Tutongi. Uh, definitely check it out. It's called Join. I believe it was his first. Um, he studied fiction and poetry while completing a BA in anthropology and began a career in technology that led to Silicon Valley. So, basically, uh, Steve was very, 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 very multifaceted. So, he's got the anthropology, but he also has the... Um, the technological bent of the uh, the chips and the uh, the AI, so it's it's wonderful. Uh, so yeah, there you go. Uh, the Bees by Laleen Paul and Joined by Steve Tutongi. Definitely uh, check those out. I was so lucky to have kind of made the connection between these two because um, it's it's so wonderful the way they fit together as a pair uh because in one you have this lavish lush um royal and regal uh palace of insects and on the other hand you have this almost clinical in some areas uh it's just so it's so futuristic with being um it's definitely relatable it's not uh, far, it's not out of reach to to read join so the fact that they they just complimentary uh, complimented each other so well um, it blows my mind but uh, there you go but also I didn't want to forget uh, while uh, we were just standing here and getting ready 
and uh, due to the master's passing. I thought uh, it was interesting that I came across this just now uh, as I was standing at the desk. You may want to get the book cam on this one. I found this uh, wonderful thing. Not well you can see it, but it's actually Stephen Hawking and his wife uh, wrote a children's series. I think this is just one of them, where it was kind of bringing, um, bringing the ideas, the broad ideas of space and the cosmic into a child's uh, purview. And it's got, I mean, as I'm spinning through here, it's got pictures of the universe and planets, but it also explains binary code and um, the user's guide to the universe. It shows a picture of Earth from uh, other planets. Okay. There's that. Oh, let me put that binary code thing on there. I think that's pretty cool, too, if I can find it again. Ooh! No, this is better. This is better. Okay. The Drake Equation. If any, anyone's heard of the Drake Equation, it's uh, basically an equation that you can plug... Um, you can basically plug the, um, the number of new stars, the fraction of the stars that have planets around them. You put all those elements into it, and it basically gives you the likelihood of um, of intelligent life existing in a certain area. And um, <laughs> the equation is totally in there. And there was actually a, <laughs> I um, I wasn't going to do without it. I actually um, I saw a a book of of Hawking's that had come out. And it was on uh, it was on audio, and I was not going to buy it unless it was in the computer, the British computer voice. And it said that it was, and I bought it, and there was only like a couple of parts that was in the the computer voice, and the rest of it was some damn narrator. But but the ideas were sound. Um, but one of the things that he talked about in it was that uh, his publisher, when he put out a brief history. Uh, beef, the brief history of everything is that what it was called? I think that was what it was called. Um, when he put that out, uh, the the publisher said, um, "Yeah, you're gonna have to make this readable by people because people are gonna read this in airports and they're not gonna want to look at equations all the time." They actually had a a, a little um, minus sign that took off money for every time he put EMC squared in the book, which is completely terrifying. Um, brief history of time, brief history of time. What am I thinking? Okay. So that's what that is. Uh, but, uh, so I think it's really cool and it's kind of thumbing his nose of the establishment by putting the Drake equation, uh, in this kid's book. Uh, so there's never going to be another one. I don't care who says so. That's, you know, some people might think that Elon Musk is going to, uh, take the cake, but uh, Hawking was, uh, he was interesting. Almost uh, insultingly so. He uh, he basically, as soon as he found out he had uh, um, ALS, the Lou Gehrig's disease, as soon as he found out he had that, he said, well, I should probably do something that will change the world. Um, and he had said that he had gotten into theoretical physics rather than... Um, practical uh because he didn't want to have to he didn't want to have to have his work proven while he was still alive and things like that he was a party boy believe it or not but um anyway i digress
Rest in peace, Steven. But, um, okay, there you go. That's the Die Ball Index for Monday, March 19th. Uh, as I said, The Bees by Laleen Paul. Definitely check that out. And uh, join by Stephen Tutongi. It might not be Stephen. I think it's Steve. Steve Tutongi. A little bit more uh, uh, personal. But, uh, as I said before, go to magicworld.com for uh, all the links to your favorite shows. If you have any favorites yet, I know you do. You're not going to fool me. Um, and uh, next week, let's see. Anyone on the horn? I can't even see it from here. Okay. So I'm going to leave it up to you guys. Which, uh, which choose your own adventure you'd like to do next week? I've got one of the ones that Paul was interested in, but I think that we need a little more practice before we go into that because that deals with like hit points and whatnot. I think we need to get a little more, you know. So uh, give me the book cam when you get a second. And maybe you guys can help me pick which choose your own adventure uh, we do next week. Uh, let's see. Get the book came up. Okay. We have choose your own adventure number 32. It's actually not that far away from the one that we did last week. Uh, 32. We did 30 last week. Runaway spaceship. So this is treasure diver. Choose your own adventure number 32. Search the ocean depths for treasure beyond your wildest dreams. You're a scuba diver exploring the Gulf of Mexico in search of sunken treasure. So, that's one. And let's see. I'm kind of interested in this one. Choose your adventure number 137. Uh, scene of the crime. So, can you stop a conspiracy from destroying your hometown? Your small hometown has always been fairly quiet. That is, until plans are revealed to build a huge mall. Oh my god, does anybody remember what a mall was? Uh, then you overhear a mysterious conversation that makes you suspect... Suspect. Suspect that something fishy is going on. Oh boy. So, as much as I would like, this isn't about like... Well, it might not be about murder. I'm not sure. Who knows? There's police and town meetings and craziness. And the third and last, uh, you are a millionaire, which is always fun. The fortune you found could be a dream come true or a nightmare. You're playing baseball in a vacant lot when you stumble upon a beat-up old briefcase full of $100 bills. It's more money than you've ever seen in your life, and it's all yours, but now you have to decide what to do with it. Choose your own adventure, 98, you are a millionaire. So, it's up to you guys. I'll do whichever one you want. So, uh, make your choice. Uh, and as always, go to a Magic I think I probably mentioned it, but I don't care. MagicSquirrelNetwork.com for the links to all your favorite shows. Uh, absolutely all of them, Heckles and Horrors. Uh, Pointless Discussions, Juice in the Morning. And the newest Anamankai. It's actually coming Wednesday night. So definitely check that out. The boys are getting really good at their job. So, speaking of good at your job, make sure you do your job and go to Pointless Discussions GoFundMe page. Hush up. Pointless Discussions GoFundMe page. They're getting close. Only 200 bucks away. It's mere pennies for all of my listeners. So definitely go out there. Uh, make sure that they get their new theme song from Royce Good Looks. And don't forget, Cinematic Reality is coming to you soon from uh, Studio 605. Definitely go to their Indiegogo. 
and help them out. There are new shows uh, popping up all the time. There are new things from Pointless Discussions. Uh, check out the Facebook page and find out exactly what's going on with them. I'm not exactly sure how much I'm allowed to disclose, but there are big things afoot and there are happening soon. So, as always, I'm Corey Dawson. This has been the Diabolical Index. Thanks for stopping by, and uh, as always, keep it squirrely.